0: So first of all, I just wanna say I am completely undone by the worship experience. Those tissue boxes, I appreciate whoever put those in the front, I was doing this one. Uh, You know, I come from the state of California, everything's closed, so it was just beautiful to be in a room full of people praising God's name, (laughs) worshiping, giving their all to Christ our King. It just was something, you know, I'm a, I'm a very sensitive guy, like I cry at the littlest things. Um, well, listen, I, I come to you, I'm not a pastor, but I come with the heart of a pastor. and Someone who cares deeply about marriage because I nearly lost my own. Um, yet when I think about a room this size, I have to know already, there's hurt. There's hurt in this room. Maybe you're sitting next to your spouse And there's spoken or unspoken anger, resentment, frustration. Maybe you're here by yourself because your spouse isn't into spiritual things. Or maybe you're here single, waiting for that moment. What I do know is this. It's really hard to raise your hand when it comes to getting help in relationships. And I know Brad and Josie and I know the leadership team here want Uncommon Church to be the safest place for you to reach out and get help. But pride. Pride stands, us, stands in the way from us looking at the distance between where we expect our relationship to be and where it is. So wherever you're at today, I bring you a message of hope about marriage. I want you to know that Jesus cares so deeply, more than you can ever imagine about marriage and that your current marriage relationship is a taste of what is to come. When I think about the purpose of church for the equipping of saints, this is not the main event. You know that, right? You guys understand, this is not the main event. It's pretty exciting though. When the bass hits you, you're just like, oh, come on. And, I don't know what her name is, but she has got a voice that brings me to tears. Like, I just, uh, I feel that. So anyways, also, I just want to welcome everybody that's online too. We're thinking about you. We wish you were here. This is not the main event though. This is about equipping the saints to go out and do the work of ministry. And so I hope this morning... I bring a message of hope that encourage you, encourages you, but also deepens your faith in understanding God's purpose behind marriage. My wife and I, Megan, started Marriage 365 out of the ash heap of our marriage. Who would have known that between both sets of parents, there was 12 marriages, and that somehow, somehow, with all that divorce, chaos, confusion, affairs, and everything disconnected, it would... Confused, Megan and I on our expectations of how love and romance should be, about how to communicate, about how to deal with conflict. And by year three, it left us wondering, well, no, convincing us we had made the worst decision possible. It wasn't just love that was between us. It was more like hatred. Yeah, rage. And we were wa- ready to walk away, even though we were two hundred. in debt, we were struggling with infertility, we had in-law issues, we couldn't forgive, we didn't know how to apologize, we didn't know how to do anything. We were the least likely to succeed in marriage. And so when God started to prompt our hearts to share these raw and vulnerable stories about how we failed miserably, I thought it was a joke I was literally like Megan woke me up, she said, "I had this dream. I'm going to tell you what it is." And I laughed. And I ran in fear. and I love this morning's worship song, to give up and abandon those fears, because Megan and I well, God had to really you know, knock us around to get our attention, to let go of those fears. And 10 years later, we reached millions of couples around the world with the fragrance of God's truth about marriage. And it's been an exciting journey. So when Brad actually asked me to come share Sunday morning, I was like, you know what? I'm gonna stay in my lane. I'm gonna talk about marriage. And real quick, before I lose you single people, I, I, you need to stay with me, okay? I, you're not gonna hear me standing up here and say, oh, marriage is so amazing, it's so great. I, I, it's not. It's really not. You, <laughs> it's a lot of fun, and yet it's not. It's <laughs> not. It's a lot of sacrifice. You give up your independence. And one day, this person who you really love and admire will fart in the car with the windows rolled up for no apparent reason. I'm not kidding you. That's real marriage, okay? You can start to pray that God's heart, God's would soften Megan's heart at this point, please. Let's, you know, should we take a moment? Should we take a moment? Okay. <laughs> You know how when you're a hammer all you see is nails? <laughs> it was hard for me to come to scripture and not see that entire meaning of our existence, why God created us, his story arc in our lives is summed up in the picture of marriage. That, that's how important it is to him, So I wanna take you to the beginning of the journey of man's kind's beginning and I wanna take you all the way to the end and I'm gonna show you just how deep and how rich God's love and affection of this concept of marriage is. And, I, and I, I'm gonna tell you this love story and I think there's something innate in all of us, I know that we are all attracted to love stories. I, it's embedded in the DNA of who we are, right? Maybe, maybe for some of us ladies, we just need a good cry. So you guys get the notebook, okay? But guys, guys, we get Braveheart. I don't know a man worth his salt who does not shed a tear at the very end of that movie. It is like, it just gets you right here. No? Can I get an amen? Thank you, All right. I also cry at Little Nemo and Toy Story, but that's okay. Hey, it's fine, it's fine. I'm sensitive, I'm sensitive that way. But I do believe that we always wanna see love win out. So our love story this morning centers around this groom and his love and affection, how he woos and chases this bride. But this villain comes in, he steps in, and he starts spreading all these lies, misinformation. You know, the bride, she kinda gets distracted, She has this affair. It gets ugly. But then the groom steps in and makes this surprising ultimate sacrifice in order to secure his future with his bride. And trust me when I say this story has a happily ever after. So it's good, right? Everybody loves a good happily ever after story, right? All right, so the opening act, it starts in the garden. It's this beautiful, serene experience God creates Adam, even then sees it's good that he's not alone and creates Eve. And there is this beautiful relationship for some sort of time, we don't know, where God and Adam and Ab and Eve and Eve and God and everything was perfect. In fact, it says in scripture that they were naked and what's the root of that word? Shame, shame, hiding, embarrassment, fear. But no, 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 no. They were naked and unashamed. There was was vulnerability and authenticity. But our villain steps in and starts spreading lies and tries to break up this relationship out of jealousy. We all know what happens, right? The vows that they had made with God were broken, Boundaries were crossed. Everything was broken. In the garden, man's relationship with God was broken. Man's relationship with others was broken. And ultimately, man's relationship with himself was severed. Where the two should have become one, now there's this great divorce. And the story from then on out Through the story of the Old Testament is how God is reminding a people of his marriage covenant to Abraham, to Isaac, to Jacob, to the judges, to the kings, to the prophets. He reminds them, you are called to be different. You are married to me. You don't don't just do your own thing like those other nations. You are Israel. You are governed by God. And in Jeremiah 2.2, 2, he says, go and proclaim in the hearing of Jerusalem, I remember the devotion of your youth, how as a bride you were, you loved me and followed me through the wilderness. And God constantly reminds Israel, you are my bride, I am your husband. But we know what happens, right? They betray They get distracted. I'm gonna assume in a room this size, and we're not gonna do show of hands for this one, trust me, that we have been personally impacted by an affair. Maybe it was your parents. Maybe it was a friend. Maybe it was a brother or a sister. But we know You've come across a lover that's been scorned, yes? You hear the anger and the rage, yes? Ezekiel channels this heart, and I'm gonna try to to do that too. Ezekiel 16, I mean, Ezekiel just comes unglued as he channels the heart of God. When God says this, I'm filled with fury against you. When you do all these things, chasing after other gods, betraying our marriage covenant, acting like a brazen prostitute, you adulterous wife, you prefer strangers than your own husband. We often hear that the Old Testament is the angry God. He is, he's the lover scorned, he made a commitment and a vow, and he had it. His wife had an affair on him. No wonder he's frustrated. No wonder he's upset. But our hero is relentless. He knew something was broken, and he said, "You know what?" Jeremiah reminds him again. The days are coming. I'm going to make a new covenant, not like the old covenant. I will. I made with her. Not like the old covenant. I made with Israel when I led them out of the land of Egypt because they broke my covenant, though I was a husband to them. He made these vows to the nation of Israel. Love me and I will bless you. And as a husband, I I will protect you. I will provide for you. You are set apart. You are sanctified. You're different. But betray me and I will pull back. I will be a gentle and gracious lover. I will pursue you passionately. But when you betray me, well, this leads us to our second act. John the Baptist enters the scene, and he sees Jesus of Nazareth, and he says, behold, the bridegroom has come. And after three years of ministry, I wanna bring you to John chapter 14. It's the last night. It was like, it was actually like last week. (laughs) It was during Passover. His last supper, he tells his boys, listen, I I gotta tell you some unfortunate stuff. First of all, I know we've been friends for three years, but one of you is gonna betray me. And they're like, who, who? Not me, not me, no, no. Also, by the way, I'm gonna die. (laughs) A little troubling, right? John chapter 14, he says this. Don't let your heart be troubled. In my Father's house are many mansions. I go to prepare a place for you that where I go, you may go too. I'm coming to pick you up. Now, for us, we hear this as like, those are pretty troubling news, the betrayal, the death thing, but don't worry about it. I'm going to prepare a house for you and stuff like that. But if you were a Jewish disciple of Jesus, you would clue in exactly what he was talking about because he was referencing the Jewish Galilean tradition of being married. Yeah. So I wanna unpack that for you, okay? But in order to understand that, let's, let's, go, let's bring us up to 2021 and how do we get married today, okay, ready? So you're of eligible age, hopefully over 18. Little joke. Uh, okay, anyways, so you download an app on the phone and maybe swipe left, swipe right. Then you start texting with the person that you swipe left with and there's like a first date and it's really good. You guys are talking about, you know, fun stuff. Like, oh, I love this. I'm, we've got these future dreams. That sounds great. That's amazing. After a couple of months, you're like, you know what, we should try before we buy. Why don't we move in together and we'll just kind of shack up for a little bit and see if we are compatible, you know, with our lifestyle, sexually, it's, you know, we'll just kind of feel us out. And after many, many moons, if that is still good and things are still going well, then, you know, hey, let's talk about having a family. Well, we can't have family if we're not married, so we should get married in order to have kids. And so one day, you have this fancy soiree on a Saturday afternoon with 100 of your closest friends with decoration tips you learn from another app called Pinterest. Was I close? Was I close? Okay. So let's go back. We're gonna scroll back 2,000 years. Land of Israel, Bartholomew. He's our main character, okay? Bartholomew's of age. He was raised in a uh, village with a couple hundred people and man, Tola catches his eye. It's like, maybe it's the way she draws water for the camels. He's heard her hummus is just to die for but either way, Tola, she's the bee's knees. So Bartholomew approaches Tola's father and says, hey, listen, I think I can provide a good family, a safe and secure place for Tola. And um, I know that because Tola helps with the camels and I'm gonna be taking away that, that good hummus, we're gonna agree on a price because she's a labor unit for you to help run the family. So we're gonna pr- agree on a bride price. Now, once that's agreed upon, Tola's father brings Tola and Bartholomew and he pulls, pulls out this cup. This is a kiddush cup. Kiddush meaning sanctified or set apart. This is not common use. This is something special. Fills it with wine. He raises it to the couple and blesses them and says, to you, may the Lord shine his face upon you. May he grant you peace. May you be fruitful and multiply. And then hands it to Bartholomew who takes a sip and then hands it to his bride, who also takes a sip. Now at that moment, right at that moment, that couple is officially married or betrothed. But then what happens is Bartholomew's like, hey, listen, I am gonna go to my father's house and I'm gonna build living arrangements and when I'm done, I'm gonna come pick you up, you're gonna come live with us, okay? So Bartholomew goes to his father's house, he starts building this place, it's pretty spectacular. He's hanging the doors, he's putting the finishing touches. The rumor mill around town is like, Bartholomew's almost done with his house. It's a two bedroom condo, looks pretty sweet. Kitchen looks over the garden, it's amazing, okay? And at a certain point, Bartholomew gathers his buddies and he's like, hey, let's celebrate, let's feast together. This is like my, my, my hoorah. But the words kind of gotten over to Tola. Hey, Bartholomew's almost done with his house, so she gathers her girlfriends, virgins. You know, they're all hanging out, and they're going to be toasting and celebrating. And at a given moment, Bartholomew says, "Let's go get Tola. Let's do it." All these this has been made at his father's house for feasting. They're, they've uh, killed the fatted calf. Anybody been meet you anywhere? It kind of smells like that. It's a new, a new fave. We've dreamed about that one. Um, So at a certain point, Bartholomew leads his guys through the village, shouting, singing, rejoicing. I'm gonna get my bride! I'm so excited! Tola starts hearing rumors, and it's, oh, okay, here we go. It's about to happen. And, And here it is. Bartholomew picks up Tola. They sing, they shout, They're running through the street. Everyone's celebrating. They get to Bartholomew's father's house, and there's a seven day feast. Come on. Who likes to eat here? I'm all in. I'm all in. And I'm so excited. And it is is a, all the village comes out. It's an amazing thing. And, you know, this is a moment that is so beautiful. It's the same moment that Jesus was participating in when one of his first miracles was at a wedding, wedding. that's right, of course. This is like really, really important, okay. (laughs) Anyways, maybe some of you were drawing the parallels and kind of already figured out like, oh, Casey, I kind of, that sounds kind of familiar. Let me unpack that for you so I don't leave any question marks in the room. Jesus came to this earth to establish a new covenant and on that last night he sat down with his disciples and he said this is a cup to a new covenant this is my blood that is bled for you take this this is a seal of a new covenant Do you realize that when you take communion, you're not just sipping juice. You are reminding yourself of your marriage vows to the Father. Come on. Every time you take communion, it is anticipation of this new covenant. That's what this cup's about. It is a new covenant that has been made. Just as Jesus came to earth, he paid the ultimate Bride price. Paul says, you are not your own. You are bought with a price. Therefore, glorify your body because you are not your own. Jesus, right now, we're in this awkward phase where Jesus has gone to prepare a home for us. Some would say he's putting the finishing touches and it's getting close. We don't know, though. But Jesus has gone to prepare a place for us, and he is gonna come back again to retrieve us. That is going to happen. We don't know that day or hour, but it's happening. That is a reality for us. And when we get to heaven, we are celebrating seven days of feasting. And I do pray, Meet You Anywhere is up in heaven right now. They are roasting that pig. Slow part, you know, they've got the brisket. But all I can explain is there is a season where words fall short, this unending, unparalleled honeymoon season that we are about to partake in. So, wherever you are at your marriage right now, I want you to know that Jesus cares deeply, intimately about your relationship and about your marriage. He cares about your marriage vows, though outside that door, they don't. They fell out of love. They've going their separate ways. It's not a big deal. We just have another broken family. Our kids will get over it. How many come from a broken family? Yeah, it's it's not a big deal, right? It's not a big deal. Mom and dad just split. It's not a big deal. No. It is, it means something. Because your marriage is a reflection of what God has in store. And when you go out into this world for the main event, not this, the main event, your marriage is to be a beautiful fragrance of what he is supposed to be, like this representation of his love for us. The undying commitment of two people There's two kind of takeaways I want us to uh, walk away with this image of this Galilean wedding. The first one is this. You realize there's gonna be a moment? There's gonna be a moment when he comes back for us. And that should inspire hope. I've had the privilege of officiating seven, 800 weddings. I lost track by now. Over the past 10 years, it is the best job from beaches to gardens, mansions. It is the most exhilarating thing that I get to do, other than this. This is pretty cool, too. (laughs) But there's this moment that's my favorite. The bridesmaids have walked down, the groomsmen have walked down, and everybody stands to their feet. The music has changed, and down walks the bride. And everyone stands, and they're breathless. They're beholding the beauty, the beauty of the bride. They see the bride. She's spent all day doing her hair, her nails, her makeup. She smells good. She has been set apart, set apart for this very moment to be presented to her groom. And everyone's looking at her with anticipation And then, they swivel over. Because who do they want to look at next? The groom! What is the groom doing? What is happening? The groom sees his bride, and he is full of exhilaration, of joy, of love, and there's often tears. It's called the first look. And we will have the first look. All right, we started in the garden. We moved through Jesus. Now I wanna take you to Revelation 22. The theme is creation is restored. There's no more curse. There's no more crying. There's fruits that bear, uh, trees that bear fruit for every season. And in the middle of that passage, there's this five words that changes everything, changes everything for us, they will see his face. I want you to close your eyes for a second. I just want you to close your eyes. Bow your head, please. I just, I want, I want us to imagine this scene that we're in heaven. There's these shimmering jewels, bright lights, vivid colors. We're surrounded by this amazing cloud of witnesses. And all of a sudden, there's a hush, and a bright light, we can't even see what's going on, starts heading our direction. And as this entity moves closer, we start to make out features and and we recognize it's Jesus. And we will see his face. We're gonna see his face. Not with eyes of faith. We will see his face. Brothers and sisters, that isn't a moment that is going to happen for us. If we were just to capture that moment and carry that with us as a promise that we will see his face, imagine the hope that you will experience. See, look at already, already getting there. Here's the problem, though. Maybe you're like me. Because when I think Jesus looks at me, he's disappointed. Because I am a covenant breaker. My father looks at me as a disappointment. He, I, I picture him looking at me like, what are you doing? Why are you doing that again? Why are you doing the things you said you weren't going to do? And why aren't you doing the things that you said you were going to do? Sometimes I feel like God is so far removed from this picture. We see the injustices happening in society, racially, economically. Somebody gets cancer. Somebody gets COVID. It's unfair. Where's God in the midst of this? Why isn't he bringing justice? Because that is a deceptive vision. Because that, this is not our home. Yeah. Amen? This is not our home. Don't get wrapped up in that. A lot of people get their, they get wrapped up in the axon, like, where's God and where's the justice? This is not our home. Yeah. We have a future home waiting for us. So if you feel like God is disappointed in you, here's what I have to say to you. Zephaniah 3.17 says that he sings over us. And he will quiet you with his love. In the midst of your depression, your anxiety, your fear, your anger, your regret, he will quiet you with his love. And the second thing this picture should give us is the sense of action. And here's why. Wouldn't it have been easier if we just said the sinner's prayer and then poof, we go back to home? Wouldn't that be beautiful, right? Just be like puff of smoke, like Lord Jesus, where'd he go? Where's John? I don't know. Apparently he went to go home with the Lord. So here's what we do know world's broken. Jesus left us here. He's called us to bring the earthly kingdom down to heaven so that we can give people a taste of heaven of what's to come. Then we're to channel God's heart of restoration to this world. That is the reason why we are not in heaven right now. We are meant to be conduits channels of his love there's a Jewish uh, phrase called Olam. it's this idea of repairing the world and it was a, a thrust that the Jewish people had was we were meant to be here and to restore creation to its original state that's our drive that's the reason why we're still here <laughs> there was once a man who stood before God his heart breaking from the pain and injustice He cried out, dear God, look at all the suffering. Where were you? Why didn't you, why didn't you send help? God said, I did. I sent you. I sent you. Church, he is sending us. You are not left here With no sense of direction or purpose. We have our home. We have our North Star. It's gonna be prepared for us. We will see His face. Now, it's time to start to restore God's creation to its intent. It starts with us. Don't let pride prevent you from looking in the mirror and seeing all the broken parts, but rather invite God's spirit in to bring restoration to addiction, to those broken parts. To the anger, to the hardened heart, that grudge you just wanna hold on to, the blaming, the shaming. Allow the God Spirit to help you look in the mirror and say, God, the first place, the first place I'm gonna restore creation is with myself. And you know who's gonna receive the first fruits of that next? my wife, your spouse, your family, your kids. That's the next area where God will begin to shine his light through your life. As you begin to work on yourself, it starts to flow out there. And then only then can you go out beyond your household to begin outreaching to those around us because you can't give what you don't have. Don't go out until you're ready. I know God's not looking for perfection, but don't go out until you've done that inner work first. My time here in Texas has been amazing. I walked by this smokehouse and it's intoxicating. I know, I'm talking about food again. Sorry. (laughs) I believe that your life should be a good smokehouse, the oak wood bringing you in where people walk by and go what's going on here? What you cooking? I, I want some. I want some. God cares about your marriage. Please don't give it up for temporal things. Because when you lean in, choose love, are courageous in your love, you become a smoke pit barbecue house that people will want to come and see and smell and taste. And you're gonna say, this, my brothers, this beef rib is a taste of heaven. (laughs) And this Californian is going home with a taste of heaven. (laughs) Let me close with this. Jesus has this story in Matthew 25, tells this parable about, again, a wedding. He's recalling this story about, you remember Tola hanging out with her girlfriends, the virgins? He says, kingdom of heaven's like these 10 virgins that are waiting, waiting for the groom to come. Five of them had their lamps ready. They were prepared. They're like, let's go, let's go, let's go. five of them didn't really take the time they are like man it's been like two weeks where's this groom and they didn't prepare for it and Jesus said and at one point all ten of them heard the shout and then the the five over here were like, hey, can you give us some oil for our lamps? And they're like, no, no, no. No, we're prepared for this. We're ready. We've been waiting for this moment. We've been excited. Our entire lives have been pointed towards this moment where the groom is coming for us. Go, go in the marketplace. You gotta go, go buy your, your oil there. And so as the five went off to the marketplace to buy oil, the groom came and brought the entire wedding party into his father's house where there was feasting and it was beautiful. The five other virgins, the foolish virgins, showed up at the door and started knocking at the door. Yo, we're here. And the master said, I don't know who you are. Gang, there's gonna be a moment where the doors are shut. There is a final curtain call. I ask you, you will see the face of Jesus, but will it be the ultimate accumulation of your life's sacrifice, the way you've given your finances, you're given your talents, the way you've honored your marriage, the way you've raised your kids have all been for glory to God. And it's just this beautiful thing where you're just like, yes, this is amazing. I'll be right next to you. I'll be crying. Okay. Or will be a terrifying moment where you recognize that your life wasn't prepared. You lived your life independent of God. You lived your life contrary to it. And it's a terrifying moment. Lord, Lord, don't you remember me? I don't. So I wanna give you an opportunity right now. Maybe if you just close your eye, close your head, close your eyes, bow your head. The Spirit of God is alive and well in this building. And if you've tasted, and if you've smelt, and you're like hungry, for what you saw happening up on the stage earlier, that you want to see your life oriented around and you want to see Jesus's face. I want to give you an opportunity to respond. Maybe as a wayward son that's been lost, disillusioned by church, but you see Jesus and you want to see his face. I want to give you a moment to respond because I would love to pray for you. Would you would you raise your hand to say, I want to see God's face. God bless you. God bless you. Bless you. Mm. Mm. Amen. Amen. I think we're gonna, in a moment we're gonna take communion and and I want you, those of you that raised your hand, I would just say, remember as you take communion, that this is, these are your wedding vows and your commitments. In fact, should we rehearse our wedding vows together, church? Yes, would you repeat after me? God, I give you my life as a sacrifice to your kingdom. Thank you for your love and commitment to me that you sing over me, that you rejoice over me. Thank you for inviting me into your kingdom. I give my life to you. You can have it all, all my heart, all my soul, all that I own, all to you, Jesus. Amen, amen. Do communion. I'm sorry. New to this thing. Thank you. Would you Would you grab a communion cup? If you don't have any, there'll be ushers that can pass one out to you. Yes. Would you join me in standing? Yes, for the bride. going to take this, this way for the, just again this is just a symbol this means nothing but this is a representation of the vows and commitments a toast to the new covenant that is not dependent on us or our faithfulness but upon God's faithfulness and remember with this bread we celebrate and we represent the bride price that was paid with Christ's body on the cross. And so would you take this with me? Thank you, Jesus. Thank you for your sacrifice, God. And now would you partake of the the juice again, reminding us that the Father would stand between the betrothed couple, pronounce a blessing and say, this is a cup. This is a new covenant between you two. There's blessings. This is to a new covenant. Cheers, everyone. Cheers to the new covenant.